Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. He is risen. Now, I'm sure many of you just said, he is risen indeed. So we're going to do that one more time so we can all participate. So I'm going to say he is risen, and then it's over to you to shout back, he is risen indeed. Now, kids, this is one of those times where it is okay to be loud and shout back. You ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Well, welcome to church this morning. Happy Easter. It is so good to have you with us. Well, today we get to celebrate Easter. We get to praise our God, the God who rises from the dead, the God who transforms death into life. I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to take that out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 19. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's absolutely fine. The passage will come up on the screen next to me. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 down to verse 19. I'm just going to give you a second to turn there. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. We read these words from Paul. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So I'm going to hand it over to James now. Well, good morning, everyone, and a really happy Easter today to you, wherever you are, anywhere in the world, wherever you're tuning in from, a happy Easter to you. It is great to be together and join arms with Christians all over the world as we celebrate the most significant event in history. Now, I don't normally have titles for my sermons and messages, but you know what? It's Easter Sunday, so I'm going to, and we're going to call it this, the reverberations of the resurrection, the reverberations of the resurrection. Now, I want to take you back to an event two years ago, around about two years ago, in the beautiful state of Washington in the United States. Now, my family and I, we had traveled to Washington to spend some time with my in-laws. Now, we like to get over there whenever we can. It's great for my kids to be with their grandparents and that side of the family. I love spending time with my in-laws and my wife needs to see her family. Now, while we were there, one of my father-in-law's friends said, why don't you come out to my house? My house is up in the mountains. It's beautiful. It's picturesque. I'm going to get some people together and we'll just relax and spend some time together. We thought it was a great idea. So we all piled into the RV. We stocked the fridge. We stocked the cupboards. We redid the bedding and we were off all in the RV together. Now, around about two hours of driving, we made it to our destination a wonderful spot nestled somewhere in the Cascade mountain range. And it was stunning. I mean, the sky was blue. The mountains around us still had snow on the site where we had parked our RV. And so we took the opportunity to relax. 
The kids were playing a game in the RV. Some of the family was sleep snoring away on the beds in the RV. Some of us were sitting on benches outside and I was sitting there on the steps of the RV with my feet just out in the sunshine. It was serene. It was calm. It was tranquil. Silence reigned. And then out of nowhere, that silence was absolutely shattered. The serenity obliterated. As we heard two of the loudest booms I have ever heard in my life. I mean, these were so loud. I thought the windows in the RV were going to shatter. All of the birds in the trees suddenly leapt out of their nests and were flying around everywhere. We were all in alert mode, all frightened, wondering what that was. And then, of course, everybody started to bring their theories. Uh, some, some people were saying, well, maybe, maybe they're, they're using some kind of an explosive to get rid of a beaver dam somewhere. But then why was it so loud? Or, or maybe somebody's playing a trick on us. Maybe somebody threw a stick of dynamite into the hedge or something. But then, just a few minutes later, we heard on the news what had happened. Apparently, there had been some kind of an emergency in Seattle. It was about a few hours north of us. And what had happened is the military had scrambled two F-15 Strike Eagles up from Portland, which was a few hours south. And they had flown as quick as they could from Portland to Seattle. And it turned out, just as they were flying over our heads through the mountain pass, they had broken the sound barrier. And so what we heard was the sonic boom. A boom, a, a, a noise like I'd never heard before. A noise that made my head feel like it had been rung like a bell. A noise that I could feel through my ribcage. What we heard and what we felt were the reverberations, the shock waves of a sonic boom. Now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and just a few short verses in this chapter and, and it's kind of like in this chapter Paul is saying hey here are the reverberations of the resurrection here are the shock waves here is the thunderclap here are the implications of Jesus being bodily literally truly raised from the dead here are the reverberations of the resurrection now, a few years ago, there was uh, another edition of a, quite a famous publication called the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. And at the time, the head editor was a guy called Mortimer Adler. Very clever guy, prolific author. And uh, in, in this publication, there was a huge section of it that they called the Syntopicon. And the Syntopicon was, was basically, you know, articles and places where you could find additional reading about any given topic you can imagine. But in the Syntopicon, one of the, one of, one of, one of the topics that was given the most amount of page space was the topic of God. And so Mortimer Adler was interviewed once, and the interviewer said, hey, I've, I've read through all of this, and I've gone through the Syntopicon, and I've, I've realized that the, the, the article that's given the most amount of page space is, is about God. Well, why is that? And Mortimer Adler simply responded by saying, because more consequences for your life follow from your decision on who this God is and how he has revealed himself. You see, they realized the implications for who we believe God is and what we believe God has done 
has a reverberation throughout the world, throughout history, and right up into our lives. You see, that's what Paul wants to get to in 1 Corinthians. This is what the resurrection means. Here are the reverberations that emanate from the resurrection. Now, there's no more important thing you can be thinking about. There's no more important thing you can do than to conscientiously think about the resurrection and ask what it means for the world, what it means for history, and what it means for you. So this morning, I want us to see the shockwaves, to see the thunderclaps. I want us to see the sonic booms. I, I want us to see the implications. I want us to see the reverberations that Paul shows us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So the big question this morning is ever so simply this, what are those implications? What are the reverberations? Now I know there's a lot we could say in this passage, but I just want to highlight three key reverberations. Three key reverberations. One reverberating back, one reverberation forward, and one reverberation through. So back, forward, and through. Okay, let's read the first couple of verses in our passage here, verses 12 and 13. It reads like this. Now, if Christ, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, we don't know exactly why Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about res the resurrection. We, we assume that there's some kind of confusion around the concept. Now, if you go back into the first century, what you'll find in this part of the world is there's, there's probably two main uh, views going on in the world. There's, there's the view of the Greeks and the, the Jewish view of the resurrection. Now, the way the Greeks would view resurrection is, is to say, well, why would a body be resurrected? You know, the Greeks wanted to, the Greeks wanted to get free from the body. They, they would often see things, material things, including the body, as undesirable, and what is desired is to get away from material things. So they didn't really take to the idea of a bodily resurrection. And, and then there was the Jewish perspective. The Jewish perspective was kind of, they, they were looking forward to a mass resurrection in the future. And so they didn't really take to the idea of one person being raised from the dead. And so maybe these views were infiltrating the church and causing confusion. And Paul writes into this and says, I need to get things straight. And so Paul teases out the logic of the resurrection. He's saying, look, if Jesus has been raised, then you need to see what this means for you. You need to see the implications to see the reverberations. Okay, well, let's keep moving through this passage to find more of these reverberations. Let's read verses 14, 15, and 16. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not, whom he did not raise. It is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even if Christ has been raised. Now let's pick through some of that quite wordy few verses there. 
And in particular, I want to just highlight a phrase in verse 14 and 16. Paul says, look, if Christ isn't raised, then your faith is futile. And verse 16, if Christ isn't raised, then your faith is in vain. You see, this is Paul saying, look, if Jesus isn't resurrected, then your faith in Jesus and everything that comes with your faith grounded in Jesus, everything he claimed to be, everything he said, everything he taught, everything he revealed himself to be, well, that is pointless. It's all in vain. But of course, what's Paul doing? Paul is teasing out the negative here. He's saying, Jesus, if Jesus wasn't raised, well, then this must be true. But he's teasing out the negative in order to drive home the positive. He's saying, well, Jesus has been raised. And that means then, Everything who Jesus is, everything that your faith is grounded upon, who Jesus is, what he taught, what he said, what he claimed, then that is absolutely true. You see what Paul is doing here? He's saying, look, because the resurrection is true, you can look back through everything that your faith is grounded upon, Jesus, his claims, his teaching, the lot, to find out it's true. The resurrection shows us everything he said, everything he is, is true. So first reverberation, back. We look back through Jesus' life, back through his claims, back to see who he is. And the resurrection shows us he is who he says he is. That's the first reverberation. Now let me illustrate this. In, the middle, in my mid-teens, I played for a cricket team on the other side of Berry, And we would play games of cricket. I wasn't much good at cricket, to be honest. I wasn't much good with the bat. I wasn't a very good bowler. And if I'm really honest, I probably just enjoyed standing out in the green field in the sunshine with my mates. Now, one particular day, we had somebody join our team. And this was good news for us because we'd been struggling to get numbers for a long time. So we met this new player in the car park where we were meeting before we drove off to the place, the venue where we were playing. And we all got introduced to him. He had just moved to the area. Apparently, he was quite a good cricketer. So we all jumped into the car. Uh, I was in the back seat with some friends also on the team and this new player sat in the passenger, passenger seat and we drove off to the game. Now as we were going, we began to ask questions to him, a bit about his life, where he comes from, what's he like? And then of course, inevitably, we asked him about his cricket experience. And here's where the claims came flooding out. He began to tell us how much points or runs in, in cricket he had scored. Oh, one day I, I scored almost 200 runs, he said. Now that's quite a claim. And he says, and one day I hit the ball so hard and so far that it sailed out of the ground, over the trees, over the road, over the garden, in the, in, to a house just the other side of the road, and then it hit the roof of the house and broke a tile on the roof. Oh, and another day he said, I hit it so hard that it went sailing over the ground, over the village hall, into a car park on the other side, and straight through the windscreen of a car. He says, one day I was playing in a stadium, and I hit it so hard and so far that it, that it didn't even go into the stands. It went over the stands and landed into a river the other side of the stadium. Now, me and my friends are just kind of looking at each other. Is this guy serious? I mean, do you ever come across those people in your life who, who initially you just think, they're all talk. Nobody could do that. And so we got to the game. 
He picks up his cricket bat. He walks into the bat, into bat and he faces the first ball and then launches this small round red piece of leather into orbit. I mean, it goes so high and so far, we just about lose sight of it and we never did find that cricket ball. Our jaws dropped. We've never seen anybody hit a cricket ball that far. And then we begin to realize everything he claimed, everything he said in the car, that was entirely true because of what we had just seen. It's like Paul saying the same thing about the resurrection. Your faith isn't in vain because Jesus is resurrected. Everything we've been grounding ourselves on as followers of Jesus, who he is, who he said he is, his claims and his teaching, well, it's all true. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, it's true. When Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost, it's true. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, it's true. When Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. When he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm the light of the world. He said, I'm the good shepherd. You know what it means? The resurrection shows us that everything he said is entirely true. Every single word. But let's take this a further step. Because it means we can't pick and choose with who Jesus is and what he said. You know how sometimes we pick up a book and we get to the end of it, having read it carefully, and we, we can kind of say, well, I, I like that chapter, and I didn't really like that chapter, and oh, those points were really helpful, and I didn't think much of that story or that point. I'll discard that and I'll keep that. The thing is, we can't do that with Jesus we can't do that with his words. We can't do that with his teaching. We can't do that with who he's revealed himself to be. Why? Because the resurrection shows us that everything he is, everything he's claimed to be, everything he taught is entirely true. Now, Paul's logic is simple. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then you look back at the person, the words, the claims, the teaching, and see it's true. The resurrection means we get to see a reverberation back through Jesus' life and recognize that for the basis of our faith, we have a firm foundation. The resurrection reverberates back through Jesus' life. But there's more for us here. So I want to turn to verses 17 and verse 18. Let's have a look. And if Christ has not been raised... Now, Paul's big point here is to say, hey, Corinthians... Think about it. If Jesus wasn't raised, then there is absolutely no hope in death whatsoever. So this is the second reverberation, but this time it's resonating forward with hope. The forward reverberation of the resurrection is that there is hope in death. The resurrection means that there is hope in death. Now, now Paul is being consistent and consistent with everywhere else in the Bible, that if Jesus has not been raised, or if you are not found in the grace of Jesus, then there is not a thread of hope for you in facing that one thing that we will all face, death. And that's the real truth of it. Now, you might be thinking to me, oh, oh, come on, James, I mean, it's Easter Sunday. Come on, it's a huge celebration for followers of Jesus all over the world. 
Spring is here, and to be honest, I've had a pretty okay week. And now we're talking about death. Well, yes, we are. I think somebody needs to talk about this. Somebody needs to talk about the hope we have in Jesus in the face of death. Somebody needs to say it, and what better day than Easter Sunday? I can remember one Easter many, many, many years ago when I was a kid. Uh, we went to my grandparents' house for Easter. Now, most of the time we'd be at our place, but we went to their place. And what that meant was my favorite thing about the day, grandma would make a roast dinner. Now, grandma's ro her roast dinners were famous. She always cooked the meat beautifully. Easter Sunday, it's lamb with mint sauce. Vegetables steamed to perfection. I mean, it, all the works. Her gravy, my goodness, always on point. But then the, the potatoes. For some reason, she must have forgotten to cook the potatoes properly. I don't know whether she forgot to boil them, the oven wasn't hot enough, but we all tucked in and took a bite of the potatoes, and when you took a bite of the potatoes, it was just it was horribly crunchy. I mean, more crunchy than an apple and just kind of disintegrated. Ugh. But nobody said anything. I often think back to that point. I was like, why didn't we say anything? I mean, were we just trying to save grandma being hurt and feeling embarrassed? Maybe. Or maybe we were just being really British and pretending everything was okay when it wasn't. And I always look back and say, why didn't somebody just say, put the potatoes back in the oven? Somebody just say something. You know, sometimes we have to face those hard topics. We face the hard topics. And on Easter, we, we, we're pushed to face the topic of death. But there's good news in it. Good news that transforms our outlook. How? Because, because of the resurrection, there is hope in the face of death. And therefore, that means in Jesus, you don't have to be enslaved by that kind of fear. Now, you might be thinking, but I'm not enslaved by that kind of fear. My answer to you is, well, maybe you are more than you think. Famous author called Ernest Becker wrote a really well-known book in 1974 called The Denial of Death. And Ernest Becker's main point is to say, look, the fundamental drive of a human being is actually that we are terrified of death. He wrote in this book a quote, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is the mainspring of human activity, activity designed largely to overcome it by denying in some way that is the final destiny of man. This is the thing he said we were most afraid of. Maybe we take a look at our own lives and realize that we're more enslaved by that fear than we think. Don't we want to be remembered? And the thought of not being remembered haunts us. We don't want to miss out on what happens after us. Maybe we feel like we haven't accomplished what we wanted to. Maybe we feel like we haven't been to the places where we wanted to go. Maybe we're constantly worrying about certain symptoms that our bodies are showing. Or maybe we're just so desperate to mean something to the world around us. You see, death threatens that. And therefore, death is something that constantly haunts. And then how about throwing in what we're going through right now? What our world is going through? You know there's fear. The threat of death is gripping our world. 
people are finding that their existences aren't like the impregnable, invincible fortresses that we thought they were, surrounded with impenetrable defences on all sides. But actually our lives and our existences are more like fragile pieces of bone china to be handled with extreme care. You see, today we're being woken up to the reality of our own mortality. And there is need for an answer. Our hearts, in our heart of hearts, we're asking the question, is there hope in death? Can I have a hope that a disease can't take away? Can I have a hope that transcends even the heartaches of this life? Easter gives an enthusiastic answer. Easter has a response to that question. You you remember being in a classroom when you were at school and the teacher would ask a question and there would be that one child in the classroom who was bursting with enthusiasm because they had the answer hand as high as it could possibly go, struggling to stay on their chair, just desperate to give the answer. You know, while all the other hands are down in the world, when the teacher asks the question, do we have any hope? Easter has its hand in the air. There is an answer. There is a hope. The resurrection of Jesus has something to say, something to say about hope in the face of death. And it's because Jesus defeated death. If you're in Jesus, yes, there is hope. The resurrection reverberates forward to give you hope even in the face of the very thing that haunts the human creature like nothing else. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the Christian, death to the Christian, is the supreme festival on the road to freedom. Or as D.L. Moody famously put it, Someday, you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I will be more alive than I am now. You see, the resurrection gives us a concrete, rooted, liberating assurance. The resurrection gives us an unshakable and immovable hope. The resurrection gives us a fortifying security. My question to you, do you have that hope? Do you have that hope that the resurrection gives? If not, run to Jesus. He's the one who went to the cross for your sin. He's the one who took hell on our behalf. He's the one who went through death and darkness and came out the other side. He's the one who cried out, I thirst. He's the one who cried out, it is finished. He's the one who rose and defeated death. Now I love how confident Paul is about this. The resurrection gives him such an assurance that later on in the chapter, he begins to taunt death. I read the second half of verse 54 and verse 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul is like a football fan looking over to the opposition with a grin on his face, chanting, Jesus is risen, death is defeated, and I have a hope that can never be taken away from me. 
You see, the reverberation forward is a reverberation of hope, hope in the face of death. So back, Jesus is who he says he is, and our faith isn't vain. And forward, Jesus has defeated death. And you know what that means? That means we can have hope in the face of death. Now, there's one more reverberation I want to look at. It's through us. The sonic booms of the jets were so loud that we felt it in our chests. This reverberation is one we feel in our chests. It's through. And here's the thing. The resurrection means that there is real and genuine meaning. Okay, let's reread verses 14 and then 19. It goes like this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Down to verse 19. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, now this word vain means pointless or meaningless. And he uses the word pitied. If Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, then this is all pointless. Everything we've done, everything we've based our life upon, it's all meaningless. But Paul is saying with the resurrection, that means there is genuine meaning for us found in Jesus. Now, now you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, isn't it possible for me to have meaning in my life without the resurrection? Well, my answer is this, not in the broadest sense of the word meaning. Now let me explain myself, and I want you to follow me, because I'm going to go down two trains of thought here. Firstly, there's a popular view in our world today, probably the most popular view of our existence, is that human beings are nothing more than the result of a chance clanging together of rocks in the universe. This view holds to the fact that there is no God, there is no intention behind creation. Nothing more, there is nothing more to the world than what we see. Therefore, any life on planet Earth, any life whatsoever, is purely by chance, and it's on that same trajectory of chance. But here's the thing. If that view, no God, no intention behind creation, we're just the result of a cataclysmic accident, then that view must hold to a few things. Firstly, th this view must concede that human beings are nothing more than highly developed monkeys. Th so that means then, you know, we're not designed, we're not created. We exist because of chance. We, we are the result of a mindless march of the material world. Also, this view has to say that there is no such thing as authentic love. Now, granted, people do loving things, but in this view of the world, then you have to begin to ask the question, what is real love and where does it come from? Now, sometimes we feel and do something loving, but in its deepest reality, love has to be an illusion and nothing more. If this all by chance is all accidental, then where do we find a basis for, for, the, for, for love? Also, here's what this view has to concede, is that, is that there's no such thing as right and wrong, good and bad. There's no moral compass. We're just free to decide whatever it is that we think is right. 
nothing is actually wrong, nothing is actually right. I mean, are we even able to use the word should or the word ought? And here's what this view needs to concede as well, is that there's no such thing as meaning with a capital M. There's no point or meaning to our very existences. We just are. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, who would ever think that? I mean, who would take it to that conclusion? Well, actually, a lot of people do. Philosophers begin to ask that big question. You know, they end up saying things like, our lives came from meaninglessness. I guess we'll carry on into meaninglessness. And everything between is meaningless. What more could there be? Thomas Nagel, the famous philosopher, says, it does not matter that in a million years, nothing we do now will matter. And, and he also says, life may not only be meaningless, but absurd. Now, I know this sounds bleak, but let's be really honest. To say this, to say everything we've just said, has to be the eventual conclusion of probably the most popular view of our existence today. In our world, in our country, that is what has to be conceded. We came from nothing, we're going to nothing, and everything in between is nothing. But here's what Paul is saying. He's telling a different story. He's saying the resurrection opens the door to his life-making sense. He's saying that then God really has broken through into our world. And God continues to be at work even when things don't make sense. And if God has broken through into our world, then there is so much more than what we see. And if God has broken through into our world, then we were made for more. That, that hunger and that longing we have for something beyond ourselves, that hunger and that longing to be satisfied, well, it can be satisfied in Jesus. Now, if God has broken through into our world, then he's a God that doesn't turn his back on us, but makes a way for us to know him. Now, here's the thing. If God has broken through into our world, then we're not just accidental intelligent monkeys. Rather, each and every person has an intrinsic value, a worth and a dignity. As Psalms put it, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We mean something. If God has broken through into our world, there is such a thing as genuine love. And it's not just an illusion. And you can find it in the face of Jesus Christ. You can find it in his willing sacrifice. You can find this genuine and real love as he heals the paralytic, as he gives attention to Zacchaeus, as he brings hope to the woman at the well in Samaria. You can find it in his offer for you to draw near and to know your guilt washed away. If God has broken through into our world, then genuine love is on offer to you today. And if God has broken through into our world, then we have a basis for what's right and wrong. There really is a designed and fruitful framework to live by that brings abundant life and healing to our hurting world. And if God has broken through into our world, then there is meaning with a capital M. Meaning for your life. Not just chasing the wind, but a real point and a purpose is available to you. And it's found in following and knowing our Saviour, Jesus. The resurrection means that God has invaded the world. The resurrection was the magnificent, history-shaping event. And we begin to find that it really colours everything in our lives. Like a red napkin that somehow snuck into the white wash and everything gets coloured by it. 
You see there's three, at least three reverberations here. Back, the resurrection shows us that Jesus really is who he says he is and our faith's not in vain. The reverberation forward, hope in death because Jesus has defeated death and the reverberation that goes right through us. There really is meaning and it's found in Jesus. So where does this all leave us? Well, it's time to have the reverberations of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus resound in our hearts and our minds to feel the sonic boom in our chests right through us. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I've got good news for you. Jesus is alive and well today. May you catch sight of that and throw yourself upon him for mercy. May you hear the resurrections, reverberations around the world throughout history and right up into your lives. Back to see Jesus' claims. Forward to find a hope that can even transcend death. And then to find a reverberation through you as you find meaning coming from Jesus as you begin your journey of following him knowing forgiveness, finding his mercy, receiving his grace. And if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then there's good news for you too. He's risen, like the sonic booms of the jets overhead. May you feel the reverberations of Easter in your chest, in your bones, in your mind, and in your heart. The resurrection of Jesus has sent reverberations through history, the world, shakes us to the core and electrifies our souls. As we look at the resurrection, may we feel those reverberations. Back, he is who he says he is. Forward, there is hope in death. Through, Jesus helps us make sense of our lives and our existence. So may we have the reverberations of the resurrection resound right through us today and with every single step now and evermore.